All right, guys, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. We're still in John chapter 3. We're going to look at the next part of Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. So we're going to focus on verses 9 through 21 today. So if you're using a pew Bible, that's page 561. So 561 in the Pew Bible, we're going to look at John chapter 3, verses 9 through 21. Now, we've been doing this study basically to reacquaint ourselves with Jesus. Now, why do a study to reacquaint ourselves with Jesus, George? Because we already know everything there is to know about Jesus. Actually, we don't. And sometimes we develop in our, in our thinking ideas about Jesus that really don't come from the Bible. They come from tradition or, or some thinking that we maybe read somewhere or, even, or family thoughts or so forth. But what we want to do is get back to the gospel and see what the gospel says about Jesus and, and, and understand. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus is going to make the point to us that he's the gift from heaven. Now, so we're going to look today at a verse that's very popular. Everybody who's in Christian circles knows it. We see it on TV with a football game, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But we're going to see the context of that. And the context of this entire discussion, if you remember, he was talking with Nicodemus. We looked at it last week about the whole issue of being born again. Now, what we brought out last week is that was a very relevant issue to Nicodemus. Why? Because Nicodemus was a Jew, and so he thought he was okay. Why? Because he was born a Jew. Probably circumcised on the eighth day. He was a teacher, a member of the council, the Sanhedrin. He was a ruler among the Jews. He thought he was okay, but Jesus comes and says to him, you must be born again. And of course, that shocks Nicodemus, and he's like, well, how can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? Well, that's impossible, right? But Jesus was talking about spiritual rebirth. You and I need to be reborn spiritually. We need to be saved. And so that's what we're going to talk about again today, and we're going to talk about the whole basis of that salvation and the transformation of that. And we're going to hope that maybe you get something from it today. I'm hoping that you even now as we talk about this, as we look at God's word, that you will be praying in your spirit, God, show me the things that you want me to see. So let's look at this passage today. We're going to start with verse 9. Again, it's going to start with another question from Nicodemus, and then Jesus gives his response. So we're going to look at verse 9 through 21. It's going to be up on the screen if you need to look at it in the screen or you can look in your Bibles, but follow along with me. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And for everyone practicing evil hates, hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed." But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. All right, so here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take this section of verses and we're going to really divide it up into two parts. We're going to see Jesus talking, first of all, about Nicodemus's second question, which raises the whole issue of spiritual blindness. Why can't he see what Jesus is saying? So we're going to talk about that for a while. Because it's possible that you and I are here today and we too may be struggling with a level of spiritual blindness, okay? Then we're going to see Jesus' testimony. It's a self-testimony, but that self-testimony is going to talk to you about salvation, okay? Salvation. So let's, let's first of all look at verse 9 and 10. Notice his question now. So this is Nicodemus responding to Jesus saying about the need for rebirth, that you need to be born again, born spiritually. Nicodemus doesn't understand it. He, he's not comprehending it. So he says in verse 9, how can these things be? So here's how Jesus responds. Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? All right, so here's the interaction. Nicodemus is listening. He's like, how can this be possible? I don't understand. And Jesus looks at him and says, wait a minute, you're a ruler. You're a member of the religious council, the Sanhedrin. You're a teacher of the law. You mean you don't even understand this basic truth? Here's the reality of what's going on. It's possible to study truth and still not see it. It's possible to study truth. It's possible to see God's word, to study God's word, and not comprehend what's going on. Nicodemus doesn't comprehend what's going on because here's what Jesus is saying to him. Jesus, in the whole aspect of a person being born again and being reborn, it's mentioned in the Old Testament several times. I'll give you some references. 1 Samuel chapter 6. Samuel is saying to Saul, when you go back, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you'll have a new mind and a new heart. That's spiritual rebirth. You go over to Isaiah. Isaiah talks about that when he comes back, the Messiah comes, that he will give his people what? A new heart and a new mind. Same thing in Ezekiel. Same thing in Jeremiah. Joel chapter 2 talks about the same thing. It's throughout the Old Testament, the whole concept of people becoming new, being reborn. But for some reason, 
They miss it. They don't see it. Nicodemus isn't seeing it. And, and the reality is it's possible to study the truth and still not see it. That's a reality, can I tell you, in church. I'm under no delusion, having pastored this long, that everybody sees it. Because everybody doesn't. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Everyone does it. In fact, years ago, I remember, I remember an old preacher once telling me, if you've got a problem in a church, preach a message to that problem. Well, I did that once and realized real quick the people I was trying to talk to weren't listening to me. <laughs> so I just wasted a whole message. And then here's what I've learned. Not everybody's going to see truth. And the people you think should be hearing, give us that, we need to tell them. You, you people, they just need to listen. No, no, if they're not in a place to listen, they're not going to listen. They're not going to see it. And that's true no matter what. Whether it's a preacher preaching or you talking a spiritual truth with your friend over coffee or whatever. You ever had that experience where you're talking to somebody and you're talking about what God's doing and this is what God did in the Word of God and this is what He's showing me and they're like, huh, oh, yeah, yeah. And they just don't see it. You ever had that experience happen? All of us have. See, it's possible to study truth and not see it. Nicodemus wasn't seeing it. So Jesus goes one step further to help him to understand. Jesus testified of what he knows and has seen. He testifies of what he knows and has seen. Look with me at verse 11. Here's what he says. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. See, this is spiritual blindness. Okay, so let's stop for a moment. Let's help everybody here comprehend what we're talking about. Because the same thing happens to you and I. All right, so you you're in a situation, you've got some sort of crisis happening, and you prayed, and God showed up. And you know it wasn't a coincidence that God showed up with whatever that issue was, and he helped you with that issue. You ever have that happen? Yeah, all of us, right? Now, here's what I want you to think about. And you are excited that God showed up. You know it was the Lord who, at the right moment, provided the money that you need. Or at the right, right moment, got you over that issue of sickness. Or provided this or that or another. Or sent you to the right doctor to deal with that health issue or whatever. And you know it wasn't a coincidence. It was God. So guess what you do? You're excited. You tell everyone. Isn't that what we do? But you ever meet the person who says, Oh, that's a nice coincidence. And they just kind of blow it off. It kind of sucks the life right out of you. Ever had the life sucked out of you when, you when you had something exciting happen? Because they don't see it. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. They don't see it because they can't see it. And Jesus is saying, look, we testify of what we have seen and what we know. But you, look at where the emphasis is. He's telling Nicodemus, you don't accept our testimony. That's spiritual blindness, folks. They choose not to believe. They choose not to hear. Here's the third thing I want you to see. 
Look with me at verse 12 and 13. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Here's the point I want you to see now. Spiritual truth cannot be understood if you miss his practical truths. You can't understand spiritual truth if you miss the practical things Jesus is telling you about life. Now, let's stop for a moment. You ever notice, I think Jesus, if he was here, would be everybody's favorite teacher. Can I tell you why? No one would say to him, like, like I learned long ago, this is not a compliment to tell a preacher, you would be good teaching in seminary. You ever had somebody say, oh, he would be a good seminary professor? That's not a compliment. Why? That usually means he's speaking so far over the heads of others around him, he's meant to go teach somewhere, not teach here. It's the same thing. Why? Because we would love Jesus because when Jesus teaches, he teaches in such a practical what? Simplistic way that communicates truth that even the common people understood what he was talking about. Now, a lot of them didn't, because he was so simplistic, but he was conveying truth. And he says to Nicodemus, who is a ruler, a teacher, if I'm talking to you truth through earthly things, so he's talking about birth, rebirth, and you're not grasping it, how can I talk to you about heavenly things? See, the simplicity of the gospel is that. Simplistic. Not some profound theological truth that you got to wrap your brain around. But spiritual blindness doesn't allow them to see it. So here's Jesus' testimony. So he wants Nicodemus to understand, and he wants you and I to understand, the whole issue of why salvation is there for you and I, and why he ultimately had to die on a cross. And it's funny because it starts off in chapter 3. We're in chapter 3. Chapter 3, from the very beginning, he's already alluded that my hour has not yet come. He talked about that when he did what? the Making the water into wine at the wedding at Cana. He's talking about his hour, that moment when he would be crucified. Here he's going to refer to it again. Jesus knew from the very beginning he had to go to the cross to die for you and I. So here's what he's going to do. Here's the testimony. Notice with me. We're going to see five things. Here's the first one. Look with me at verse 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. All right, so here's what he says. He's going to refer to something that Nicodemus already knows. What does he know? Well, in the book of Numbers, there was a story a narrative, a historical record of something that occurred while the children of Israel were in the wilderness. Remember they were in the wilderness? What did they do in the wilderness? Complain. One thing you can say about the children of Israel in the wilderness is that they wandered around for 40 years complaining about who? God. We don't have enough meat. I hate manna. Where's the water? Why are we roaming around? We don't like Moses' leadership. I mean, they're just complaining all the time. And guess what they did one time is they complained about God. And God basically said, okay, I'm done. 
So he sent fiery serpents among them. Now, some people say, was it a, a serpent that breathed fire? No, no, probably it meant that they were red. But whatever, they were poisonous. Maybe when they bit you, it felt like fire. I don't know. Never been bit by a snake, don't want to be bit by a snake. I'm sure it doesn't feel good. But whatever, these snakes were going around and lots of people died. And guess what Israel does? <gasps> we sinned. And they run to Moses and they say, Moses, pray for us that the Lord would remove the serpents. And God tells Moses, Put a serpent on a pole, make a serpent, a bronze serpent, set it on the pole, and when anyone is bit, they need only look at the bronze serpent and they'll be healed. Remember that story? Okay? Serpent on the pole. So he's saying, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man, the Son of Man, that is a title for the Messiah, had to be lifted up. And listen, that was an exercise of faith for the people in the wilderness, right? You had to believe that the way that you were going to be saved from that snake bite was looking at that what? So do you think there were some folks that didn't look? Yeah, they were dead. But those who had faith, what? Looked to the one who was lifted up, to the serpent that was lifted up. Jesus now is saying the same illustration so that they can understand. And here's the point I want you to see. Looking to the Son of Man who was lifted up brings eternal life. All right, so let's stop. That's the first thing you need to understand about salvation. All right, so he's talking to a guy who thinks he's okay, who thinks he's going to inherit the promise. He's going to receive everything there is to receive because he was born a Jew. And not only just born a Jew, he is a ruler. He is a teacher of Israel. And Jesus comes along and says, you must be born again. And helping him to understand, he explains, just as Moses lifted up the serpent so that those who were bitten could look at that serpent and be healed you must look at who? The Son of Man who is lifted up to have what? Eternal life. It's an exercise of faith. And you have to look at the one who is lifted up. Now, we understand at this point, because we're looking at it later, lifted up meant what? Crucified. Crucified. But Jesus goes on further now. Look with me. Look at me at verse 16 and 17. He goes on further in his discussion here. Verse 16, we know. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is powerful. Why? Okay, here's two things. Number one, because God loved the world, he sent his only son to us. All right. I need your attention. I want you to hear me. We live in an interesting time. I mean, you can't turn the news on and not be bothered by the stuff you see on the news. No matter what channel you're watching, 
no matter where you're at, politically or whatever, people are bothered. Would you say that's true? People are just bothered. Okay, now here's what I want you to understand. God still loves everybody. God still loves everybody, period. How much does he love them? He sent his only son to die for them, the people you don't like. Do you understand what I'm saying? He sent his only son to die for them. That's how much he loved them. Would you do that? You know, I got, I got a daughter and three boys. I wouldn't give any of them up. I mean, I love you guys, but I wouldn't give any of them for you. Okay? Seriously, you wouldn't for me. That would be like craziness. Why would I do that? We don't think that way because why? We're parents. When you're parents, you do whatever for your kids. Am I not right in saying that? But he loved us so much. He sent his only son for us. For us. For the world. For everybody. For the Chinese, the Russians, the Cubans, the Venezuelans, the Arabs, the Africans, the Europeans, the Americans. He sent it all for everybody. Do you understand why? Because he loves everybody. Got a hard time if you can't grasp that. Here's the second thing. Because those who believe in him will not perish, but they have everlasting life. That's what he's saying. If you believe in the Son, you will not perish. You'll have everlasting life. Now, let me just stop for a moment. As much as we are distressed by everything that's going on around the world, and we want God to end it and bring judgment or whatever, you just noticed here, Oh, by the way, this time when this was written, there were a lot worse things going on in the world than right now. Roman culture was way beyond what our culture is. Way beyond it. If you had somebody who was sick, you just threw them out on the, on the pile in the street for somebody to cart away the dead. They didn't even bury them. You didn't want a baby, you threw the baby out. Do we do that in our society? You go to jail in our society for that. This was a terrible time that Jesus is in. But notice what he's saying. God so loved the world that those who what? Believe in him have what? Eternal life. Those who believe in him will not perish. And then notice the next thing he says. He didn't send Jesus to what? Condemn. He sent them to what? Give them salvation. That's what we're here for. Here's the other thing. I want you to notice. Look with me. Well, what about those people who don't believe? Well, he tells us. Look with me at verse 18. This is where you and I need to understand some things. He who believes in him is not condemned. Listen to what he says. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Here's the point I want you to see. 
those who do not believe are already condemned. All right, listen. We have a tendency as human beings to focus in on sins. Now, it's funny to me because we like to focus in, oh my goodness, those people who do those kind of things, they are worthy of hell. Okay, wonderful. You're right. But the sins you do are worthy of hell too. Did you hear me? All sin is sin to God, and all sin is worthy of what? Hell. Now, we categorize sin. Some of that has to do with history and our culture. Some of that has to do, for instance, like there, there was a major church denomination, ancient church, that gave the difference between venial sins and mortal sins. And, and if you do this, you're worthy of hell and anathema and, and all of this. Okay, I understand all that, but that's not how God sees it. For all sin is worthy of death, period. The wages of all sin is death, period. So while we get irritated with one sin or two sins or these kind of sins, have you noticed we make excuses for our sins? Do you know what I'm saying? So like, for instance, when I got saved, I went to a little bitty independent Baptist church in West Columbia, South Carolina. Okay, so one thing that, you know, I got saved, I was a young man, I was drinking, I was smoking, cursing. I got rid of those sins real quick because... You'd hear a message about how those were wrong. Don't do that, okay? But in the same church, the same people who were saying those things, gossip. Gossip. And what the problem with gossip is? A lot of times it's slander. And a lot of times it's stabbing people in the back. Oh, we have a good way to do it in a Christian church. Here it is. Pray for so-and-so. I heard gossip. Guess what? God hates gossip. It's actually one of the seven sins that he hates in the book of Proverbs. That sin that you're despising isn't mentioned in those seven. Do you see the point? So God saves and came to save all, but the problem is they're condemned. Why? Here's what condemns people to hell. Not individual sins, but one sin. Unbelief. They are condemned already, he said, because they do not believe in who? The only begotten Son of God. That's what sends people to hell. And so that he goes on here and helps you to understand why they won't believe. Look with me now at verse 19 through 21. And this blows my mind when I read it. I, it kind of brought everything to, a, to an understanding and a conclusion. He says this. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. 
But he who does the truth comes to the light, and his deeds are clearly seen that they have been done in God. All right, now here's what I want you to see. They do not believe because they choose to continue in their evil deeds. That was kind of like a big moment for me this week because I thought about it through the years. Have you shared the gospel with people that you love or people that you work with and you're like, you want them to get saved, but they choose not to believe? You ever had that happen? Yeah, I've had that happen. And you're wondering, why can't they see it? I'll tell you why they can't see it, because they choose not to see it. Why? Because they choose something else instead. I'll give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. So when I was a younger man, a lot thinner, I was in the National Guard. And I was serving in a signal unit out of Camden, South Carolina. And we were going away for our two weeks of annual training up at Fort Pickett in Virginia. And we were in the woods for a long period of time. No showers, nothing. So you could think we were smelling pretty ripe, okay? So we got an evening where they said, okay, you guys can go into the barracks. We had barracks. We didn't even know what they looked like. We had places, you know, but that's what it was. You can go get a shower. So I'm in the back of a truck with a bunch of guys, and I'm sharing the gospel with them as we're riding in for our showers. And so I'm in the back of this truck, and I'm sharing with them about the love of Jesus and their need for Jesus. And one of the guys there, he was a great guy. He was an E4 specialist. He looked at me, and he said, I hear what you're saying, Cannon. In the military, you call each other by your last name. I hear what you're saying, Cannon. But I just can't do it. And I said to him, why? You just need to reach out. And there's Jesus. You, you know, and you. He said, I just can't do it because I can't go home and tell the woman I'm living with we have to quit living together. Now, I'm going to stop for a moment because... I didn't talk about that with him. Do you know what I talked to him about? Jesus died on the cross for his sins. Confess your sin. Believe him. You'll go to heaven. I mean, I gave him the classic. It was, I never talked anything about how he was living. I didn't even know how he was living. But he understood the gospel enough that he came to a place where he had to make a choice. And the choice was, do I choose to believe or do I continue to do what I'm doing? And that guy made the choice. I hope he changed his mind later. I don't know. It was over 30 years ago. But that's exactly what they do not believe because they choose to continue in their evil deeds. Folks, you will watch people, even sometimes they'll come to church and you'll watch people and they'll decide, I don't, uh, I, I'm done with God, I'm going to do my thing. And that's what they do. They choose not to believe. Now, how does this all wrap in here with Nicodemus? Okay, so here we are. We have a guy who's coming to see Jesus because he believes that possibly Jesus is the Messiah. 
that possibly Jesus is the hope of Israel. But again, remember, he's already thinking he's okay as far as what happens to him later on because he's a Jew. But Jesus, he, he, goes, he forgets all the formalities and he says to him, look, you've got to be reborn. You've got to be spiritually transformed. And the means of that spiritual transformation is believing that God sent his son for you. And you need to choose. But here's the problem. Not everybody chooses, do they? Do you understand what I'm saying? Why? Because some things are more important than God. That's reality. That's where we're at. And I hope for you, you chose right. Did you understand what I'm saying? You chose the one who was lifted up. And you put your faith there. That's reality. That is Jesus. Let me pray for you.